morning, everybody. Friday, 25th of March and Wall Street performing last night. Henry, what happened last night? What happened last night? Well, the market in the US was up. The Dow was up 349 points. So a good night from the US. They did have some data out on the jobs front, which was a little bit bullish. And we also saw the oil price come off last night. It was down around 2%. So that was good for uh, the market, or at least it seems to be good for the market. The volumes in the US are still quite light. So it is quite volatile still, but there definitely is a bias to the upside. And we saw the tech stocks also doing very well. They were up around 1.9% uh, with NVIDIA leading the charge last night. Uh, that was doing extraordinarily well. That was up around 9% as well. So it was all pretty rosy. The other thing to point out, I guess, for um, commodity fans is that nickel had a 15% rise, rise last night to 37,300 and change uh, dollars. So that was a big move. And there were stories that the big short, the man from Ting Shan, uh, was covering some of his shorts, despite the fact that he said only a week ago that he wasn't intending to cover any of his shorts. But he does seem to be covering some of his shorts. The rest of the commodities were pretty flat. Iron ore not doing too much. Gold was a bit of a mover up uh, 1.3%. But uh, certainly the bias in the US is to the upside at the moment. And our SPY futures were up around 38 points in our market currently is uh, up around uh, 21 points, but it is a Friday. So there is a little bit of uh, caution, I guess, heading into two days of Ukraine without markets being open. The other news was the Russian stock market reopened last night. Amazingly, the Russian stock market was up 4%. Uh, the government was heavily supporting the market, as you can imagine. And there were only, I think, 33 Russian stocks were allowed to trade and you couldn't short and foreigners weren't allowed to sell. So did kind of skew the market a little bit. So no one's taking that too seriously, but it didn't crash. I guess that's the main thing if you're interested in the Russian market. Yeah, the uh, market today looks really a bit dead in the water, which is uh, usual or often happens on a Friday, up 20 and the price movements are pretty small. Uh, I th Henry, I think we can pretty much ignore the nickel market until it settles down, can't we? It's I'm watching the nickel stocks, you know, like I'm watching Poseidon Nickel every day because I hold it. And it really hasn't moved at all on this nickel price spike and drop. And speaking to Peter Harold, CEO of Poseidon Nickel, before I went away, he was saying that it really isn't something they can concern themselves with. With it's a market thing, not a supply demand thing. That that is that is true to a certain extent. But it's interesting that the uh, other metal markets are starting to follow the LME a little bit. So although it is a market thing, like oil was when it went negative, uh, it still has. You know, you can still, if you're a producer you can still hedge by selling into that market as uh, Ting Shan have done and got caught with. So, you know, it is still real. It's weird that the nickel stocks haven't really reacted. In fact, they've gone a little bit backward. Strange. But everyone, everyone loves lithium at the moment. So, you know, you could do no wrong. Yeah, uh, good. Uh, Tom, what's happening today? Anything? Thanks, Marcus. Not too much happening today. Uh, we've got most sectors a little bit higher. The market set to finish the week up. Does anyone want to have a guess? 1.7%. That's a fantastic guess, Marcus. I have read the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> and that follows about a 3.3% rise last week. So not too bad there. Premier Investments are paying a record interim dividend up 36% on last year. Online sales driving their result. The chart, however, does look a little bit tired. And we've talked about it before, but retailers in a little bit of a difficult space with higher rates and inflation. 
uh, going to weigh on consumer spending there. Helios has sold Adora Fertility for $30 million, part of its strategy to simplify its portfolio. Uh, its pathology segment did quite well from COVID testing over the last two years, but it's sort of topped out, uh, topping out in January this year. Adbury, ABC, is trading ex-dividend. Not much on the economic front. I'll just signpost a couple of things for next week. What we've got going on locally is retail sales, building approvals and private sector credit. Nothing too exciting. In the US, the Fed has its preferred inflation measure due out on Thursday. They also have non-farm payrolls on Friday, which is Saturday morning our time. Good. Thanks, Tom. Uh, and Premier Investments is down a little bit today. Uh, the other one that's going up today, I haven't gone up yesterday, is JB Hi-Fi. I imagine there's some broker stuff on that lately. Yeah, there is. I've got some here. They surprised the brokers yesterday reporting a 10.5% like-for-like sales growth in the quarter to date. City and UBS are both neutral with target prices about in line with the current share price. And Credit Suisse has an outperform rating with a target price 14% above the current share price. So it seems like the price might already be factoring in those results there. I've also got UBS has updated its outlook for Western Australian miners. And they're anticipating COVID-related disruptions to activity. And they've listed iron ore, lithium, nickel, alumina, and gold that will be exposed to the risk. They haven't made any changes to ratings or target prices like you were saying yesterday, it looks like it might be a little bit reactive and that might already be priced in as well. And I've got Morgan Stanley has resumed coverage on Block and is neutral. The analyst believes that growth is priced in and they've valued the company at $146, which is 21% below the current share price. Right, despite its terrible performance. <laughs> and good. Uh, Henry, what have we got in Henry's take today? Um, I just have a few things today in there. Just yesterday, I took a few profits in a few things, uh, only taking the top of it more than anything else. Uh, the small cap portfolio valuation is heading up towards its all-time high again. Uh, lithium is really charging ahead, and there's some, been some big winners in stocks like Calix, which has just been turned into an absolute screamer uh, of a stock. But I did take some money off the table in that one yesterday at just above eight bucks because I think we were long at two dollars twenty. Uh, so that's a four bagger um, and some other big moves today in lithium stocks as well. But I did point out one thing to bear in mind because a lot of people, a lot of um, uh, novice share traders out there just buy the charting package and look at the data and look at the chart, the bottom left, the top right routine, et cetera, and, and think they're gurus. Of course, we are lucky enough to have uh, our, our charting guru who works for us, of course. But it is always good to look at the market capitalization as well. And something that you looked at, Marcus, when we were when we you were asked about the flight center and the webjet thing in terms of their chart and the market cap pre-COVID to post-COVID. You know, when you look at some of the market caps and some of these lithium stocks, forget the chart, they're pretty ritzy. You know, Liontown, which hasn't even made the final investment decision, is a $4.2 billion company. And they're not going to be producing till 2025. So that's certainly something to bear in mind. Uh, it's not just a question of looking at the charts, but also a question of looking at um, the market capitalization and the, and the valuation of the company as a whole, because sometimes the charts don't tell you everything. Apart from that, just a heads up this weekend uh, on the couch, I sat down. Um, you guys, the youngsters of you will be probably more interested in this than the oldsters uh, of us. 
but I sat down on the couch with a gentleman by the name of Daniel Pickering, who is a fund manager for a company called Listed Reserve, which is a Bitcoin fund manager who've produced over the last five years, 67% per annum gains. I suspect that's front loaded considerably to back to 2018, but I've got 40 minutes of a chat about Bitcoin and crypto, which I found fascinating. And I asked him, as they say, I asked him all the dumb things that you can ask a manager. And I'm also in about 20 minutes sitting down with the um, CEO of Ioneer to talk about their lithium project, Real Light Ridge. Uh, that was going to be this week, but it'll probably be early next week. That one will come out depending on when I edit it. That's about it. Ask the analyst tonight. Ask the analyst tonight. And there are links on the website to, to there are, register. There are, link, there are links everywhere. Yeah, and we've got about 170 people for that already. So we might have to chop that off at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah. On, on the strategy front, uh, Tom and I combining on strategy at the moment. A quick technical look. If you look at the US and our market, we've recovered our pre-Russia high. And it's hard to know technically whether we are at the top of the trading range in a downtrend, which has been going on since August for us, or whether we are or have seen a pivot point in the market and we're going to resume a new uptrend. I think for the moment, my guess would be we're top of the trading range with all this interest rate rises and inflation concerns and inflation numbers coming up. It's hard to imagine that we've got the uh, depth of uh, macro uh, drivers to hit a new uh, uptrend from here, but you never know. Anyway, I'm thinking it's a top of the trading range in a downtrend. Uh, we've also got a bit of a rundown on upcoming ASX events that are relevant. We've got the budget on 29th of March next week. Uh, we have an inflation number on April 27th. We've got the RBA meeting in May coming up. They were never going to do anything and they're not going to do anything very close to an election either. And then interestingly, uh, heads up, we've got the bank results season coming up. That's all the big banks except for CBA. They'll be paying dividends as well. They'll probably be announcing big buybacks. So this is where you would traditionally be buying the banks ahead of results. Of course, they've just had a really solid pop on the back of the interest rate rises, but they are an interest rate play as well. So if you're holding banks, I'd be pretty comfortable with it at the moment. I'm not sure you'd really be uh, looking to make short-term trading gains buying for the results, but certainly from income looks okay. Uh, we've also got some US stuff coming up. We've got employment numbers April the 1st, FOMC minutes April the 6th, inflation number, the big one, April the 12th. And we've got the start of the first quarter earnings results season for the uh, US starting on April 13th. Now, uh, Tom and I have written a little bit about the inversion of the bond yield. Just have a read of the strategy section today. But the point being that when the short-term interest, when short-term interest rates drop below long-term interest rates, it tends to suggest the prospects of a recession are rising. And there is a chart in there which shows since 1975 shows each recession in the US and also shows that just prior to those recessions, the two-year bond yield dropped under the 10-year bond yield. At the moment, the US two-year bond yield is slightly above the 10-year bond yield. So we're not quite at that point, but clearly uh, the, the three-year, by the way, is above the 10-year bond yield at the moment. And uh, so we're heading towards a bond yield setup, which suggests a recession is possible. And that could be the theme for the rest of this year for 2022 is uh, potentially fears of recession. Uh, we haven't got there yet. Our market's just getting over Russia, but that perhaps will become the next focus. Anyway, read about that in the strategy piece. With bond yields going up, uh, we've also written three 
Stocks that go up when interest rates go up, QBE, Challenger, Computer Share, have a read of those. Computer Share seems to have got away, but Challenger and QBE certainly haven't. And also the bank sector is the most obvious short-term interest rate uh, play if you wanted to play that game. Right. I've also written a piece today. You've probably read in an educational piece. You've probably read in the morning uh, news wires or even in our write-ups of what happened overnight, you're constantly reading reading about value outperforming growth or growth outperforming value. I've written a piece today in the newsletter. I'll leave you to read it. But there are some ETFs in the US that focus on value. So there's an iShares S&P 500 value ETF. And they've picked all the what they call the value stocks out of the S&P 500, things like Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Walt Disney, Coca-Cola, all the boring stocks. And these are low volatility, reliable earnings, lower ROEs, and uh, considered to be value stocks. And then there's an iShares S&P 500 growth ETF, Top 10 stocks in those, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, NVIDIA, Meta Platforms, you get the idea. The growth stocks are low yield, higher return on equity stocks, and uh, the value stocks are the, the reliable, boring stocks. And there's, there's uh, a few conclusions from that. When the market goes up, growth outperforms. When the market goes down, value outperforms. Value growths are value stocks are more defensive. Growth stocks thrive on positive sentiment. They fly on irrational exuberance. And the sort of you you start to think to yourself, why do I ever bother with value stocks? Well, the only reason you would is really because you're interested in less risk, less volatility, less stress, less activity, less dealing, and uh, importantly for some of you, income. Uh, that's why you'd buy value stocks. So it really is the dull end of the market, but the reliable end of the market. And for those of us with a higher risk profile who watch the market every day and like to be active, you do wonder why would I bother with a, a value ETF? I should really just be playing growth ETFs or cash. Anyway, have a read of that. And there are small cap ETFs as well covering value and growth. And I've listed today the ETFs in Australia that give you exposure to value and growth. There, are, there aren't very many of them, but also the, stock, the ETFs that give you exposure to what is a proxy for value, which is quality and qual, Q-U-A-L, which I think you hold, don't you, Tom? I do, actually. Is uh, one of the most obvious quality ETFs, uh, covers the world ex-Australia. Anyway, so a bit of education there about value and growth and how you can get exposure to it. Right. Uh, I've also, by the way, put in links to the Marcus Today ETF spreadsheet, which I've updated today and provided performance figures, which one of our members uh, requested. So I've put those in and it's up to date to today. Good. That's about that. Question of the day, Ben. What have we got? Question of the day. Question of the day is where would you like to retire? I'll come back to you, Marcus, because you're halfway there. So oh, yeah, right. <laughs> we'll finish on you. <laughs> if only. Uh, Tom, where would you like to retire? I love the surf coast. I think there's nothing better. And Anglesey is a pick for me. I love the place. Very, it's more rural than Torquay and it's just got a great feel. So I'd like to retire there. Very nice. Henry? Where would I like to retire to? I would like to retire to anywhere close to my children. Very nice. Very wholesome. Which is the opposite of what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> you need new children. Yes, I do. I've got too many on. Layden? As it stands, probably back at the Basco Shire, just where I grew up. The Shire. Just, 
I think there's just something about your hometown that makes you want to go back there. For some people, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Very nice. Marcus? Uh, well, I'll tell you, a, uh, I'll try and keep it short, but I'll tell you the story that when I got divorced from my first wife, Liz, <laughs> I got invited by one of her girlfriends to a lunchtime drinks party. And when I arrived, she goes, you, I, I, I was wondering why I'd been invited, quite honestly. She goes, you, in the pantry. She pulled me into the kitchen pantry, slammed the door shut, and I thought, oh, God, what's, what's on here? And... Uh, she said, uh, you see that that map on the wall? And she had a cork board with uh, the map of a map of England on there with all these blue pins stuck in it. And she also had a map of London with all these hundreds of blue pins. in. It. And there was one yellow pin uh, in the London map. And she goes, see all those blue pins? She goes, uh, I go, yes. And she says, that's where our friends live. We put a, a pin in where all our friends live. And you see in London all those blue pins, and you see that yellow pin at the point of maximum density of all the blue pins, that's where we live. And that's why we live where we live. And she goes, you know what you did to Liz? And she pulled the yellow pin out, opened the sash window, and threw the yellow pin out of the window because I had, I had moved out of London with Liz to a house, a beautiful house, but miles away from anywhere, miles away from all our friends. And our marriage uh, consequently was put under a lot of pressure and didn't survive. But that, I think, if you were to retire, that's what you've got to think about is where do all my friends live? Because that's what's going to keep you alive. The last thing I would do, for instance, I go to Marimbula every year at Easter. The last thing I would do is have a sea change where I go, right, we're retiring. But let's go to Marimbula. You just leave all your friends behind. You've got to have a support people. network as well. Yeah, you've got to have someone to go to the pub with. And uh, that's why you you should retire where all your friends are. There you go. That was my answer. Very nice. I don't like my friends that much. So I'll, <laughs> I'll make a sea change and make new friends. I'll go to Hobart or something. <laughs> so where would you retire? Ben? I think I'd go somewhere, somewhere snoozy, somewhere, somewhere, snoozy. somewhere cheap and cheerful, right, nice right. little pub. You'll, you'll survive about six months. Then you'll be, you know, then you'll be wondering, uh, I'm, I'm about, you'll be wondering, what's Tom doing, I wonder? I'm about 65 years away from retirement, so I've got a lot of time to think about it. Okay, yeah, good. All right, great. The market's up 14, not really doing very much. Resources, banks, all pretty flat in the water. SQ2 down about 3 or 4% today probably because of that broker recommendation. Good. Uh, everyone have a lovely day. I'll be back on the weekend email tomorrow and we'll see you all again next week.